All right, guys, before we get started, big tech news this week. We are officially an Alexa skill. That's right. The Tom and Hawk football show flash briefing is now live. So go to your Alexa app and search under skills for the Tom and Hawk football show and turn it on in your flash briefings. Then just say, Alexa, play my flash briefings, and you'll hear our Monday mini cast directly through your Echo device. Coming up on today's show. An untimely outbreak in Dallas. What will it all mean? We've got coaching rumors in the NFL and throughout college football. And some professional blunders on the football field. All of that, some very average picks for this week's games, and much, much more coming up on the Tom and Hawk Football Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the world-famous Tom and Hawk football show. I am Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by Mr. Humble himself, Joe Thomas. Joe, how you doing today, man? Doing pretty good, just nursing a little bit of an injury. I've, I was questionable wow. for this podcast, uh, so I had a turkey frying incident over the weekend. Oh, um, okay. I sous vide my turkey breasts like we talked doing about. Doing flamethrower, huh? Yeah, you, no, you no flamethrower this time. I, I was okay. actually doing a very normal cooking method i had some butter in a pan and i was just searing the outside of my turkey breast and for some reason there must have been some hidden moisture in that turkey breast which i know how much you hate moisture in your turkey breast (laughs) and it escaped into the butter and made this huge splatter and like covered my arm in blisters so um oh if it weren't for my toughness and the fact that i have this iron man streak in podcasting just like i had in football uh, i wouldn't be here today wow man see that's why i don't cook that is the exact reason <laughs> it's dangerous out there. Order in for everybody. Lasagna doesn't splatter like that. It doesn't. It doesn't. And it is also a gift that keeps on giving. I'm still eating Thanksgiving lasagna. Am I going to die, Joe? No, lasagna is great because it's cooked and then you just keep throwing it back in the fridge. And so it never really comes out to thaw because you can just cut the squares out. So it's keeping it that cool temperature where bacteria does not grow all that well. Unlike turkey, when you have to pull it out and heat it up, then you put it back in and in and out. That's how you die of salmonella. Hawk, safe. Safe. All right. So what, what day do you stop eating leftovers? So if it's meat, day five. If it's lasagna like that, day seven, and then you put it in the freezer, but you individually freeze it in its own little squares so you can pull it out and heat it up whenever you want for about the next six months. I'm almost positive you're trying to kill me. So I'm I'm not taking any of this advice. I don't know what your angle is. Come on, Hawk, eat this. Here, drink this. (laughs) This is going to be delicious. Trust me, food stays great for 10 days. You're good. Chicken? Oh, no problem. Raw? Nine (laughs) days on the counter? You're good. You don't even have to cook it. Let's talk a little little football. Let's talk the, the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. They got a COVID outbreak going on. Mike McCarthy will miss this Thursday game against the Saints. I'm not quite sure who's filling in for him yet. Um, but COVID protocols. Dan Quinn has been named the interim head coach. Okay, there you mm-hmm. go. Which there's a little controversy there, right? Because Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, probably going to leave to be a head coach somewhere next year. And this may have been a good chance for Jerry Jones to see what Kellen Moore looks like sitting in that head coaching seat. But alas, Mike McCarthy said, I will not be Wally Pipped. Nope. I will let Dan Quinn be the guy. And hopefully we can win a few games and let me come storm back in as the hero that I am. And they're not going to let him audition for other teams. They're like, we're not going to show anybody how good of a coach you are, head coach. We're going to get the guy that nobody wanted to hire after he got fired. Dan Quinn, you you have no uh, 
hot head coaching prospects. You you call the team. <laughs> All right. So how, how much do you think this will affect the play calling in Dallas? I don't think it'll affect the playing calling all that much um, because Kellen Moore, from all reports, was doing all of the play calling on game day. But it will affect some of the play scripting throughout the week because Mike McCarthy, being an offensive-minded head coach that has a lot of years as an offensive coordinator under his belt, he was definitely a big part of putting together the game plan during the week. Him and Kellen Moore worked hand-in-hand on coming up with the concepts and looking at what a defense is going to probably do to defend them and then deciding, hey, these are the plays we like this week. These are the plays we don't like. Here's a few new wrinkles we want to throw in there. So this will be a fun opportunity, I think, for the Cowboys to get a little bit more of that Kellen Moore flavor from a play-calling perspective and see maybe hey, he might have a few different ideas that he was afraid to bring up or that Mike McCarthy poo-pooed in previous weeks. And he's going to have an opportunity to roll it out there and see what happens. There's been some talk about who is calling the plays in Dallas. There's been some conversation that is it Mike McCarthy or is it really Kellen Moore? Because a lot of the profile of like their style of play calling, which they're not running the ball nearly as much as they should, it fits a lot of the Mike McCarthy former when he was in Green Bay kind of style too so there's actually behind the scenes people are asking is it really all kellen moore or is mike mccarthy so i think you're right this thursday without mike mccarthy yeah we're gonna find out unless they do the old cleveland browns text message on the sideline thing yeah well i i think the reason that there's a lot of conversation about that is because there's a misunderstanding about play calling in the nfl everybody thinks that Mm. yeah they have these big call sheets and you just go through and it's got everything on there and you just kind of you call these plays well What really happens is during the week, you're pretty much deciding what plays you're going to call on Sunday. And yeah, there's a little bit of variability, but on their play calling sheet, there's all the different situations in a game. There's first and 10, there's uh, second and three to seven, there's third and one and two, there's third and 10 plus, there's goal line, there's red zone. And Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore are going through all these situations and saying, here's the two or three plays we like in this situation. And typically what happens is when you're a play caller, you look mm-hmm. up and you see what the situation is and you go with, all right, this is the play we like the most. Number one, call it. And then, okay, yep. next time we're in that situation, number two, call it. And then by the second half, there's a little bit more of an art to it because you've gotten through your openers, you've gotten through the majority of the situations, and you have a better idea of how the defense is playing you and if it matched up to what you thought was going to be the defense going into that game. And then there might be a little bit more art, but still there's going to be a lot of input from your other coaches. And if you have a head coach, like Mike McCarthy, who's called a lot of plays, he's going to be saying, hey, Kellen, uh, the defense is playing more 4-3 instead of 3-4, or they're playing more 6-1, they're trying to take away our outside zone, whatever it is. And he's going to say, let's feature these plays a little bit more in the call sheet. So he still has that influence there, even though he may not be the one that's actually putting his mouth to the microphone and calling the plays into the quarterback's helmet. It's such a useless position, to be honest. It really is. It's more about the, the setup to the play sheet during the week. You could literally build an algorithm to call plays and have like live input. So Cynthia Freeland, who we both work with at the mm-hmm. NFL Network. The great. I feel like you should put the great in front of her name. Yes. The great Cynthia Freeland. I love listening uh, to her Data talk. scientist and analytics expert. She has an algorithm that she is essentially puts all the variables of every week and it just spits out an output of like predicts the games. It, it takes weather into account. It takes all these things. You could really do that from play calling too. You could put in which is basically what a call sheet is. It's like, yeah. if this happens, That's what it then is. this. It's an yes. if-then sheet that you're trying to do in real time. That's exactly what it is. You can literally just punch it into a computer and say, oh, they're playing more 6-1. Put that in, and then this, now we'll spit out 
the best case scenario and the best play to call. That's been part of the secret of the Patriots forever. They have that like scientist guy. I forget what his name is. I feel bad, but you would Bill probably Belichick. know since you were there. Besides Bill Belichick, oh, okay. yes, it is Bill Belichick. But Bill <laughs> Belichick it. is just a bigger computer than all the other coaches in the NFL because he's seen more things. He's got more inputs into his algorithm that's in his brain yep. about hey, when they do this to us. The right move is this. It's a chess game, right? And we say that sort of flippantly, but that's what it is. He can process all the potential things that are going to happen based on his experience and understanding what that typically means in the history of his NFL coaching defenses and coaching offenses and come up with, hey, this is probably the best way to attack this team. And on top of that, the second layer of the genius there, and this is why they usually get better during the season from a Patriots standpoint, is that. He knows how to set up his practice and the schedule of the year to maybe hit on those concepts during practice, even though maybe it's not exactly what the offense is preparing to do against the defense or vice versa for that specific game plan. They're working on all of these things and building all those concepts in throughout the course of the year because Bill Belichick has that foresight to understand, hey, this is not something we've seen on film. This is not something these teams have done, but we want to be able to zig when everyone else zags. And so I can see the direction that schemes are headed in the NFL and what we need to prepare for to be ready at a moment's notice. When a team throws this out there, we got to be able to have our guys ready, not just in my head of, oh, this is what we should do, but we've never practiced it. This is what we should do. And we have some reps doing it so my guys are more familiar when I have to make a change that's not on the call sheet. That's spot on. And, and he likes smart guys. Now, he, doesn't, he just doesn't like smart guys. Yeah, because guys. a dumb guy wouldn't be able to handle it. It's a prerequisite. Like That's right. Like They change the playbook defensively and offensively every week. When I went on my visit there and there was a couple guys there that worked out, they save 45 minutes in the, the a lot of time they have you there. And they'll have like 20 of your plays pulled up. Good mm -hmm. plays, bad plays. And they make you talk through the mm -hmm. play. So you might have a great on-field workout. If they get you in the office with your plays pulled up on the computer and you can't talk through the process of how you ran this route or what you're seeing on the defense or, you know, how you're attacking, you know, this offense or this wide receiver, they're not going to sign you because they need guys who can process and understand football at a graduate level. And you know, the interesting thing for me with the Patriots is Bill Belichick as the GM has always struggled with his top draft choices. Like obviously this year is different with Mac Jones, but in the past, he's always really struggled hitting on those first round picks, but he's been amazing with his mid to late and undrafted picks. And I think the reason is because he puts a lot more weight on those mid to late round picks and those undrafted guys on intelligence and way less on physical characteristics. And that's kind of the whole NFL, how they see the draft is like guys with physical traits and a high ceiling get drafted higher guys with a lower ceiling that might be just football players, but they don't run a good 40. They're not good at the shuttle. They're not very strong. They don't do anything exceptional. So that ceiling is a lot lower, but they might be really smart. They typically fall in the draft. And the Patriots pick up those guys and they're able to fit them into their puzzle a lot better because they can handle the high volume of scheme that the Patriots require. And they're able to change on a moment's notice what they're doing on the field. Whereas a guy, a lot of times that maybe has this super high ceiling because he's super physically talented. Yeah. Out of Wisconsin tackle. Right. Exactly. Wisconsin tackles typically yeah. first round, not very smart, not just very amazing smart. athletes run great 40s. Physically incredibly <laughs> gifted in the vertical jump. Uh, exactly. But I, so it's interesting to me that Belichick hasn't recognized that and started putting more emphasis on intelligence in his first round picks, but maybe he's still a little bit concerned. Maybe he is still a little bit human that he's worried mm. about reaching into the first round and 
prioritizing intelligence over physical skills because of how ridiculed he would get if it doesn't work out. Maybe he already has. But think about if you draft a guy in the first round that everybody thinks is great because he puts on this amazing show at the combine and it doesn't work out. You don't get hammered as bad as if you draft a player who has a similar level of failure at the exact same draft pick but didn't have those physical characteristics. Everyone would be like, you're such an idiot. Why would you ever draft that guy? And then he fails. You get hammered way worse and potentially not Bill Belichick, but other GMs, your job would be on the line. Think about your boy Ray Farmer in Cleveland when he drafted uh, Johnny Manziel and then um, who was the cornerback? I don't even remember his name. I hated the guy. <laughs> but uh, those two guys, right? Physically gifted. Jeez, I can't remember his name either. But a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, they're, they're physically talented. Then the, then, the, then the next year, he drafted uh, Cam Irving and Danny Shelton, who were much less like physical freaks, but more like tough, hard-nosed type guys. And a lot of people thought, hey, they might, might be a little bit of a stretch there. He got hammered a lot more for those picks in hindsight because – there was a, that big group thing that goes on with the draft. And I, I know that you're yeah. real familiar with that in the scouting department. Like people are so afraid of going outside the box and doing something different and failing than they are with just going along with the group and then failing because of how it's perceived from the outside when you go against the grain. Somehow we did 10 minutes on Bill Belichick without even trying. Um, Justin Gilbert is the name of the corner That's right. you're referring to in the 2014 draft. Not a great teammate. But also, kind of like you, to sum it up, you're saying Kellen Moore is the next Bill Belichick. So if you're listening, <laughs> tweet that to yep, us. That's we, will, it. We, we will retweet we Joe Thomas' direct quote. A period on the end of that one. Speaking of another coach who was in the COVID protocol, mm. um, now he is lining up protocols to get paid. It is mm. Cliff Kingsbury. His name has been tossed around for vacant head coaching positions in, in the college football ranks, both Oklahoma and also, Notre Dame. Um, Kingsbury isn't the only name being tossed around. Uh, Mike Tomlin's name was being tossed around. Um, there's speculation. Urban Meyer, who has a, a history of packing his shit up in the middle of the night and leaving. Um, <laughs> no, you don't say. <laughs> you know, we see Brian Kelly. He sent a mass text message to his guys and said, yeah, hey. Real professional. What a man. Going to LSU. Great integrity there. Hope you have fun at mass this weekend. <laughs> yeah, right. um, Make sure you go <laughs> to class. Go. Peace. I'm out. <laughs> Peace. I'm out. Um, how much does this affect the locker room, right? If you're, if you're the Cardinals players, you guys are in the middle of a big run, right? If you're, according to Joe's power rankings, you're the number one team in the NFL. You are. And now, Absolutely. you know, there's speculations. And, and they, asked, they asked Cliff Kingsbury about it. He didn't come out and say, yo, I'm not going anywhere. I'm a Cardinal. He basically deflected and was like, hey, everything has a price. In the locker room, does this affect players at all? Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, an original member of the Tama flock, yep. he's kind of a hot commodity these days, but I don't think it affects that locker room. And here's why. Because as a player, what are you always asking for from your coach? You're just asking for an honest evaluation of the situation. You just don't want him to blow smoke up your ass when he's talking about where you fit within this team, what are your chances of making this roster, because you got a family to provide for. And if you ain't going to make it here, you want to start having some plans and you don't want to tell your wife, yeah, go buy that condo, go buy that house, go mm. put that money down for that rent because we're going to be here for a while. I got my coach and my GM. He's telling me they love me and we're definitely going to be here. And all of a sudden you get cut. Now, you look like the asshole when you're trying to go home to your wife and kids and say, hey, sorry, honey, we got to move from this crappy Los Angeles area, and we got to move to beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. 
life is going to be so much better there. The The weather in the winter is going to be below zero. You're going to have oh, so many friends beautiful. because nobody ever goes outside when it's that cold and that dark in the, window, in the winter. It's going to be so diverse. It's going to be so diverse. There's going to be so many black people throughout the entire state. There's at least 50 right of them in. that I saw on TV that one time. I know most of them were on, on they were uh, very the strong, Green Bay team, but there had to be at least a couple in the stands that the uh, generic Packers photographer was going to capture and put on the cover to show the diversity of this fan base. Uh, but no, with Cliff, he did a great job because he's like, look, he deflected. Hey. It might happen. It might not happen. I don't have a contract. Just like the guys that aren't under contract here on the football team, we don't know what the future holds. We're just worried about right now. But he didn't lie to him at all. And from a player standpoint, you respect that because they know exactly what's happening. The players understand that Cliff is probably not going to go anywhere. He's done a great job in Arizona. And they have an opportunity to pay him a ton of money. Phoenix, Scottsdale, one of the best places in the country to live. He's got Kyler Murray. He's got everything he wants right yep. there. And there's really no reason to go back to the grind of recruiting in college football, even if they threw a ton of money at him. So they understand this is just a contract play. This is just Cliff kind of rattling the cage of the ownership a little bit saying, hey, I got options. If you don't want to keep me around here for $100 million over 10 years or give me even more than the Gruden money, I, I can go somewhere else. And I think the, pre the, the players in that locker room appreciate it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also thought that. Oh, you thought? That's past tense. Putting extra emphasis on thought. Oh, until I'm I seen Lincoln Riley's contract. <laughs> that, that contract is pretty sick. Okay, I'm pretty now, excited look, for him. I am as loyal as they come, Joe. That is my that is my mo. That's how I You're get. You're loyal until somebody pays you more. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love that. That's my type of loyalty. They bought two of his homes for him, five hundred thousand over asking price. Yeah, and we're not talking about like two hundred fifty thousand dollar like starter two bedroom ranch houses no. in Norman. We're talking about wasn't it a twelve thousand square foot house that he just built? So he just yeah. built this ridiculous sized mansion was probably three or four million bucks and they were like, we don't care what it costs. We'll give you five hundred thousand more than whatever you listed for. So for the one he was living in and the new one, they paid like five hundred grand over both of them. They're buying him a new house for six million dollars in LA and he and his family get unlimited use of a private jet. Isn't that amazing? Now, if they come to Cliff Kingsbury with that deal, and Cliff is like 22 years old. I don't know if people know this. <laughs> He's a kid. He was a freshman when I was a senior. I was his mentor. He's a baby. <laughs> private jets take people who are under the age of 40. Private jets anywhere are awesome. But to bachelors with no family, like Cliff Kingsbury, good looking dude. I don't know, man. Well, the reason they're so valuable for a coach, especially for somebody that doesn't have a lot of time, is it buys you more time. So once you get like that certain dollar amount in your bank account as a pro athlete, the one thing you don't have more of is time to be able to spend that money because you're so busy doing football shit all the time. Right? I, I don't know this, but I want everyone listening to know this is not something... I I'm I talking know. hypothetically because I'm not one of those guys that gets to fly around the country like the Hawkins family in a private has jet. made over a hundred million dollars. So we're, we're I'm, talking I'm taking notes. Go ahead, hypothetically. Joe, all right, mostly hypothetically. Coaches. So uh, as a coach, they don't have a lot of free time in their life. They might have a 24-hour period here or maybe a 12-hour period here. So if they ever wanted to go do something fun outside of the city that they live in immediately, they basically have to jump on a private jet to go to be able to do it to get back to their other obligations. So for them to be able to say, hey, here you go, we're giving you more time. That's like the greatest gift that 
no money can buy. I mean, how do you get better than just saying, whenever you want it, you or your family, go ahead. You see that shiny new 747 out there? That's yours. Man, that, there's a price tag to that, though. I mean, private private flights are expensive, very expensive. So I got to figure, I don't know what the plane is, but it's probably 12000 bucks an hour to fly that thing, I'm guessing. And so if his family takes every flight from LA is going to be at least a couple hours. I'm glad, I'm I'm guessing he's going to go up to the mountains somewhere and go to the desert, you know, for some nice R&R time. But hell, if it's all on the company's dime, they might be flying to fucking Hawaii. They might be flying <laughs> to Fiji. Who cares? Right. It's hey, it's not our money. It's in the contract. It's in the contract. Man. I love how he just came in there and said, "I want all of the things." And they said, "Sure. No problem, Lincoln. We can give you all of these things." And he's like, "No, no." What I said was, I want all of the things, not all of these things. And they were like, everything. Okay, we'll give you all, all of the things. That's that, We're okay with that. It doesn't really matter. We have so much Man. money that we literally can't spend it. And all we want is a really good football team. Yeah, I didn't want to be a head coach until I seen the details yeah, of that contract. By the way, this is my resignation. I'm leaving the yeah. Tomahawk <laughs> show to go to college coaching. Well, I appreciate you at least having a conversation with me. Unlike my man, Brian Kelly. You have any problem with coaches up and leaving? I hate it. I hate it because they build this culture of commitment and loyalty and pride and family. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they get an opportunity to go leave for more money, it's like, (laughs) peace. You know, all those things we were talking about and I was selling to you as your mentor. You know what? They weren't as important as I was trying to tell you. What I really wanted to tell you is that the most important thing in life is to make as much money as you can. And I got an opportunity (laughs) to make a lot of money. So you, you know why you need to be loyal and committed and work hard <laughs> and do your school to make money. And I had that opportunity. So I'm going to go yes. uh, best of luck the rest of this season, but I really don't care. Like, I don't understand as a coach why he can't take that one hour and go stand in front of the team and say, guys, I'm so sorry. And just explain the reason why he's leaving. They're not going to like it. So what? Go be an adult, be a professional, be a man, be the person that you try to build all those young men that you're recruiting and put, bringing in your program that to be for an hour. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be comfortable, but I feel like you owe it to those guys. Like why do you have to tweet them or slack them or text message them to tell them you're gone and not even give them an opportunity to talk to you and have that final moment together. That's like if I killed you, Hawk, just hypothetically. And then I didn't even go to the funeral to go talk to your family about why I had to kill you. Yeah. I don't know if that directly correlates. That's exactly, that's exactly (laughs) the same analogy. Cause I'm sure my family would really want an explanation in person. I had to kill Andrew for the insurance policy. Obviously (laughs) it was going to be expire in the next couple of weeks. It's for all of, I did it for you guys. I did it for you. Yeah. No, I think I, and he may have gone to this morning and and there might've been a team meeting situation, but the news broke. I mean, he definitely committed and signed the dotted lines before anybody. You know, it's about the money. I tweeted this out. I, I'm I'm more surprised that he didn't send a cameo link. Um, <laughs> that would have been he's amazing. like, if you want to personalize goodbye, luckily we have a sale. I have a sale going on my cameo. <laughs> uh, just sign up with the below link. We talked about the coaching carousel and all the money that college coaches are getting, which is not weird. Let's talk about some of the more weird things that happened this Sunday. Vita Vea, uh, he, he, he was playing. His helmet comes off. Vita Vea, D-tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Going against the Indianapolis Colts. Helmet comes off, loses the tooth. Mid-game, just it's just out. Blood, whatever, wipes it up, continues to play. Tough guy. Uh, thoughts there. Are you that tough? 
I'm definitely not that tough anymore. However, I don't understand how you lose a tooth in football if you're wearing your chin strap properly. We talked about this a little bit on the last show. I never wore a mouth guard. 15 years, college and professional, never wore a mouth guard. My freshman year at Wisconsin, it was in training camp. I had my mouth guard just like you do in high school, right? Which I never even wore it right in high school, but it was something to chew on. And for some reason during the practice, I lost my mouth guard. And I was panicking, but I finished the practice, no problem. And my left guard at the time, Dan Benning, was looking at me. He's like, I don't wear a mouth guard. Nobody wears a mouth guard. He's like, you still wore a mouth guard? And what? Like, well, I thought that's what we were supposed to do. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't do anything. And I, I thought about it. And I remembered all the times I had a mouth guard in, in high school. I had it like halfway in, but it was really just a chew toy. Because when it's all the way in there, you can't breathe. And I'm trying to breathe. And the other problem is like, I, I must not have been wearing it properly because I never was biting down on it. Like I always had my mouth open and my jaw locked so I could breathe and I could talk. And then it helped me kind of like hold my helmet on where it was supposed to be. I don't know that maybe just a bullshit hypothesis, but I never had one issue. Never chipped a tooth, never bit my tongue, never even bit the side of my cheek. I mean, I bite the side of my cheek eating corn dogs more often than I did (laughs) when I was playing in the NFL with a mouth guard. So it looked like his chin strap wasn't tight enough and he was just relying on the mouth guard as a safety valve and it did, wasn't there apparently and it just sli- slid up and then he just got hit right in the chops. Yeah, and that's, I feel like, I don't know if a mouth guard would have protected his tooth from being knocked out. I'm not even sure. I should look it up. I don't know what a mouth guard does. I've always wore a yeah. mouth guard. I've actually lost a tooth in a game where Wearing I didn't a have guard. a mouth guard in. You My didn't? first NFL preseason game, I didn't have a mouth guard in. I dove in for a fumble. And, you know, literally lost my tooth. So I feel like a mouth guard would have protected that. But isn't it also like I think a mouth guard is supposed to help with concussions? Like Right. So I think if we had like a scientist on here, they would tell you that yeah. a mouth guard is not necessarily there to protect your teeth, especially if you have your mouth open like Vita Vea did and somebody just some 350 yeah. pound behemoth smashes his helmet into your face like a mouth guard's not going to protect it. A mouth guard is the tiniest little bit of plastic and rubber or whatever material that is that just kind of glosses over your top teeth or maybe top and bottom. I'm not sure, but I think it's more for like you to bite down properly so that if you do get hit in the head, it's supposed to absorb some of that shock that goes up through your chin and into your head. But, and maybe that's why I never had a concussion when I was playing football Cause you're six, seven, because I played with my mouth open. So if I ever did get hit, my chin acted as the shock absorber instead of biting down on that mouth guard and like relying on that little one eighth inch of rubber to protect me. So I I don't know if the mouth guard would have helped. And I'm not sure if mouth guard is better than just keeping your mouth open when you play. All the doctors that listen to this show just turned it off. Like, yeah, they hate me right now. But the quarterbacks don't wear mouth guards. Yeah, no, they don't. Do do a lot of receivers wear mouth guards? Uh, Yeah, a lot of receivers do wear mouth guards. Some some guys chew gum in a game as Mm -hmm. well. Like I said, I mean, I think also you're six, seven. I would get hit in the head. Almost routinely <laughs> because I'm right at the level where if you lower your shoulder, you're going to hit me in the head. I'm five, seven. You're six, seven. No one's, it, you have to go out of your way to hit you in the head. You're literally most times the tallest or one of the top three tallest players of every NFL game that you've ever played. Yes. I am a tall player, but you know who else was a tall player? I don't know if you watched the Packers game. They have an offensive tackle who's even taller than I am, uh, Joshua Nyman. And he went old school and in the in the end zone, he broke out the robot to the enjoyment of his teammates. Are you a big fan of big guys doing touchdown celebrations? Um, yes, I'm an, I'm a big fan of people enjoying the game. Do I think they're okay. good? No. 
but I am a fan of people celebrating and enjoying enjoying <laughs> They're the not game. Good, but you like it. Yeah, I mean, you're not always good, but it's it's still fun. It's still fun to watch the guy celebrate. Are you you're a celebration guy? You didn't used to be, I feel like. Yeah, no, I always was. I was a big believer when the NFL, if you remember, changed the rule to allow group celebrations. Uh-huh. That was right towards the end of my career, and I had just gotten Twitter, and I tweeted a bunch of stuff about how the NFL should stop being the no fun league and just allow guys to celebrate. You work so hard to get into the end zone. Who cares if you celebrate by yourself or with your teammates? If anything, I would think the NFL would require you to celebrate with your teammates right. rather by yourself. Entertain because, the people or you get fined. But it's it's uh, encouraging teamwork and togetherness and not the individual but the team like we're doing this together we got in the end zone it wasn't just me rather than like going off by yourself and doing a celebration where all the attention is on you they should encourage everybody to get together and have some fun and taunt they should encourage people to they should encourage more taunting i hate the freaking taunting rule last thing kirk cousins he uh they had to burn a timeout in the Vikings because he got he got out of the huddle and he lined up un- under the wrong guy and he was gonna try to take a snap from a guy who was not the center and he didn't realize it. You ever done anything stupid in a game? I always do stupid things in the game. Okay. Um I can't ever remember doing something like that because the good news about being a left tackle is I pretty much line up exactly the same spot on yeah. every single play. And the quarterback, it can be a little confusing when you're in this under center, you're in the gun, you're in uh, the pistol, you're here, you're there, you're looking at the receivers, making sure these idiots like Hawk are lined up properly, and then you just walk to the line of scrimmage, and you kind of forget who's the center and who's the guard. I can't ever remember seeing it in a real game, though, but every quarterback's done it at some point. Usually it's in practice, though. So, sorry, Kirk Cousins. Uh, that was a big brain fart that I can't forgive. And that we also can't relate to. I, honestly, this will be the last thing I say on it. I don't think I've ever, like, I've never had a missed assignment in a game stop it that's not true i'm such a liar you never had a missed assignment it took me seven years of nfl play before i went through a game without a missed assignment or i i guess i'm or a minus i've never i mean i've had minuses like you know maybe you block maybe i don't block for as long as i should have or something Mm -hmm. but like i've never like oh hawk you went out there and ran the wrong play or you lined up wrong i was i got everyone else lined up I spent whole seasons lining all the receivers up and telling them what play they had. Because, I'm again, I'm 5'7". If I go out there and don't know my play, I'm getting cut. It's not <laughs> – I don't have the luxury of being like, oh, you'll get them next time. No, it's like, okay, you're out of here. All right, guys, it's time to introduce a new game called The Fraud Files. Rules are simple in this one, Hawk. We'll give you a quick scouting report on a player or a team who looks good on paper, and then you need to decide if the player or the team is legit or it's just a fraud. First up, we've got the Tennessee Titans. Their first place in the AFC South at 8-4, and four, ranked fifth in rushing yards per game. Not a bad stat, 140-plus yeah. yards per game, but old Ryan Tannehill leads the NFL in interceptions with 13. Fraud or not? Okay. Are the Titans a fraud? Okay, the Titans are a fraud at this point because there's no Derrick Henry, we know. A.J. Brown is out and banged up. Julio Jones out and banged up. Jeremy McNichols banged up. Like, you can't be legit if your best players aren't there, right? And the reality is we don't know if we'll see Derrick Henry back. Now, the backups have played well, but we just know late in the season or into the playoffs, 
you need that guy to take over the game and they don't have him available yet. So I'm going to say I was wrong about the mm. Titans. Post Derrick Henry, mm. they're a fraud, as the last two weeks have illustrated. Next up is Kirk Cousins. Kid Cuzzy has a 67.7 completion percentage, over 3,000 yards passing, 23 touchdowns, and only three interceptions in a QB rating of 105.3 through 11 games. He has thrown less interceptions all year than our guy and MVP candidate Lamar Jackson through this week. But... As we talked about, he does line up under the wrong player from time to time to take snaps. <laughs> he has a very terrible post-game celebration in the You Like This. And then he only has one playoff win to his name, which came last year against the Saints in the NFC wildcard game. Are Kirk Cousins' believers wrong? And is he a fraud? You know what? I have always been the guy saying, Kirk Cousins is a fraud. He can't lead this team in the big moment. But actually, the way he has played this year has kind of changed my mind. They've won a number of close games this year. They have lost a few close games as well. However, Kirk Cousins has not been their problem. He's played really good football. You talked about his stats up at the top here. And I actually believe that Kirk Cousins, if this team can put themselves a, a little bit ahead right now in that wild card hunt and they are able to get into the playoffs, this could be the year that Kirk Cousins finally gets over the hump and wins a couple playoff games and puts himself into that upper echelon of quarterbacks in the NFL because he's always had the stats, but everybody's always dogged him about not being able to come through in those big moments. And I've seen a maturity in Kirk Cousins this season that I have not previously seen. And if they're able to play a little bit better on defense and find a replacement for Dalvin Cook, who might be out for a little bit with a shoulder injury, they will make the playoffs. And Kid Cuzzy is going to show that he is one of the top-tier quarterbacks in the NFL. Top-tier quarterback, Kid mm. Cuzzy. I don't know if I like it. I know one thing you will like, and that is the L.A. Rams. They're ranked fourth in passing yards per game at over 300. Their defense is pretty good. They're fifth in sacks with 30, and they're ninth in interceptions, one of the most important stats in football. But the Rams are on a three-game losing streak with all that talent they have, and they only have one win against a team that currently has a winning record. Should L.A. add to the fraud list or not the la rams are frauds okay collection of talent does not make you a team or a good team even at that yeah it's going to take time for them to kind of get in sync and put these things together but even still like they have this small window to do things and then matt stafford i i think matt stafford has had a good career i think he has great numbers he's one of those guys that if he can win a super bowl will likely be a hall of famer that being said, Matt Stafford has never scared me in playing against him. And that's not a knock on him. It's just a reality. Not a lot of people scare me. Aaron Rodgers scared us. We played against Tom Brady. He scared us, right? There's like players like that that you're like, this guy's coming to town and you're not going to stop him. You just hope to contain him. Matt Stafford isn't in that category. And for that reason, I feel like they're frauds, man. I, I'm, they, it's all bells and whistles and, you know, big marquee signs in the Hollywood lifestyle. When you line it up on Sundays, they're not putting it together. As a matter of fact, that same Tennessee Titans team that we called a fraud without Derrick Henry, they whooped him on primetime. Mm. Mm. I go fraud, Joe. All right, next up, my former team, Joe. I, I mm. was recently inducted into the, the ring of honor of receivers who retired the fastest. There's only a few of us um, <laughs> from the New England Patriots. They're in first place in the AFC East. They are 8-4. and four. They're ranked first in points allowed per game. 
They're ranked first in INTs, ranked third in passing yards allowed per game, ranked fourth in total yards allowed per game, and currently on a six-game winning streak. But can they really win a Super Bowl with a QB that is not named Thomas Brady, Joe? The New England Patriots are frauds. And this is why, because yes, they have an exceptional defense. Yes, they have a really physical run game. They have a young quarterback who can do exactly what they ask him to on the game plan. The problem is when the game plan calls for them to have a high scoring offense that goes down the field and goes throw for throw with Patrick Mahomes in one of those shootout AFC playoff games that we're so accustomed to seeing, they just don't have enough firepower. And they will give you the highest floor, but they also have the lowest ceiling of all those playoff teams in the AFC. And they haven't beaten anybody all that good that's playing well right now. So until they can prove that they can win a game on offense, throwing the football, throwing in a high-scoring manner, they are frauds in the AFC. As the former Patriot that you are, you will love hearing about this last fraud or not, and it is NFL running backs. Because the Patriots, they never pay running backs. They always find guys off the scrap heap. And there's a bunch of running backs right now who've been paid a ton of money that are all injured. Christian McCaffrey, four years, $64 million, out mm. for the rest of the year with an ankle. Derrick Henry, four years, $50 million, IR. Dalvin Cook, five years, $63 million, needed to be carted off with a shoulder injury, which was kind of interesting. Uh, Alvin Kamara, five years, $75 million, but missed the last three games due to a knee injury. Are these huge multi-year contracts for running backs frauds? Oh, man. Come on. I seen this tweet, and I hated it. Even though I'm oh. a wide receiver and it doesn't oh. dictate whether we get paid or not, I thought it was a stupid tweet. They even had in there, Ezekiel Elliott. They had everyone hurt. It said, Ezekiel Elliott hurt. Then it had an asterisk. Hurt for playing. Like, come on. What, you, what is <laughs> He's that? He's playing That's, hurt. Come on. He's everybody's playing hurt. All right, let me give you some receivers, Joe. We could kick this one around a little bit because I want to get your perspective. Top six highest paid wide receivers. Are you ready? Mm. DeAndre Hopkins. Last game, DNP. Did not play. Julio Jones. Number two. Last game, Joe, DNP. Mm. Did not play. Keenan Allen. Last game. He was hurt. He was questionable, but he did play, but questionable. <laughs> I see what you did there. You see what I did there? Amari Cooper, COVID, last game, did not play. After Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, last game, last few games, last few seasons, <laughs> DNP, did not play. Odell Beckham Jr., hurt, mm. back, hurting, played, oh, but man. hurt. You see what I did there, Joe? Mm -hmm, you could probably do this for any position because it's the NFL and guys get hurt. I don't think it means that you shouldn't pay running backs because the top five guys who are doing the most for their respective teams are banged up. That's what happens. It happens at the receiver position. It happens at the running back position. It likely happens on defense and even on the line of scrimmage. I'm sure a lot of the top tackles are banged up. No? Okay. That's where you're wrong. Yeah. I think this just proves this little conversation that the only person on the football field that you should pay is your left <laughs> tackle. We'll leave it at that and say that there are no tackles out there that are injured or that are frauds. All right, Joe, let's get to some picks for this week. We're starting out with the Cowboys versus the Saints on Thursday night football. Who do you got in that matchup? Yeah, I like the Saints in this matchup. Taysom Hill is going to be starting at quarterback, so they're going to be dealing with the element of surprise on the Cowboys' defense. You don't really know what type of offense Sean Payton's going to try to draw up in the dirt for Taysom Hill. And the Cowboys, they've got a bunch of guys that are coming back from injury that haven't played in a little while that are not going to be on the same page with Dak Prescott. And 
that coach, he's got COVID. So we don't really know what type of confidence that that Cowboys team is going to have going into this game. I think the Saints are going to be able to win, especially because the Cowboys have always had problems winning uh, in the Superdome. I think the Cowboys beat the Saints down. And I think whatever wing T offense that they're going to try to run in New Orleans (laughs) is not going to work. And uh, yeah, the Cowboys are going to get back on track. All right, next up, we got the Chargers. Versus the Bengals, Joe, the red-hot Bengals. Who you got in this matchup? I love your red-hot Bengals. Our guy, Joe Burrow, he's going to continue to be Joe Cool. Chargers, they're on a little bit of a skid. Uh, Brandon Staley, that young, sexy head coach, he was going to be the new guy that everybody was looking for this offseason who was looking for a new head coach. But he's kind of struggled to find direction on defense. That offense doesn't look anything like it used to be earlier in the season when they were more dynamic. They were hitting those short, intermediate, and deep routes. Now it's just like short pass, short pass, short pass. Okay, Justin Herbert, just throw one bomb down the field. Until they find a better flow in that offense, they're going to continue this slide. And I love the Red Hot Bengals. They did a poll of the best-looking uh, head coaches. Um, I don't know where, where 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 Brandon Staley fell. I mean, you called him hot young coach. I don't. I don't think he was very high on the list. So, I wasn't um, talking about his looks. I was talking about his performance, oh, okay. oh, performance-wise. I apologize. Um, Pete Carroll was top five. Brian mm-hmm. Flores was two. I remember. Mm-hmm. Must have been a lot of senior citizens polled for this. Mike uh, Tomlin was top five. I think last place was Vic Fangio. These are just some <laughs> some tidbit. Wow, you just had to take that shot at Vic Fangio. No, it's just I'm there. just saying it's what it. It's just the facts. It's just it's just how it's how the poll ended up. All right, I'm gonna go with the Bengals here. My question, real quick, Joe, who would you rather have right now, quarterback, Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow, right now. I mean, Justin Herbert yeah. has the higher ceiling, but Joe Burrow is just so cool. He plays so confident and he's so accurate that I feel like he could fit into any offense in the NFL. Man, I, I love the kid. There's a reason why he went one overall. I'm going with the Bengals in this one. They're red hot. I think they keep it going. Next up, we got the Broncos versus the Chiefs. The Broncos have been playing well. They have, but it's time to remove the uh, the shroud that's over the Broncos franchise and reveal them for who they are. And they're frauds! Too bad they oh. weren't in our, our fraud episode <laughs> uh, because the Chiefs are going to smash them. The Chiefs are red hot. Patrick Mahomes is playing good football. They might be the best team in the AFC. And the Broncos, for as well as they played in recent weeks, they just do not have enough offense to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I got the the, the Chiefs going too, and I think the Chiefs are gonna they get you know reveal that they're not frauds and be like, yeah, we're still we're still good, and we're probably gonna still go to the AFC Championship. All right, lastly but not least, this is the biggest game of the week. We got the Patriots versus the Bills on Monday Night Football. Joe, who do you have here? Yeah, this is the game that proves my theory about where the Patriots are as far as Super Bowl contenders. The Patriots are going to keep this one relatively close, but Mac Jones doesn't have enough firepower to keep up with the Bills offense and Josh Allen. So I think the Bills mm. win by a couple scores. Bills win by a couple scores. I'm going to go Patriots here, man. Ooh, because Josh Allen, homerism. He's not, he's not playing against uh, Mac Jones. He's playing against Bill Belichick, and that's, that's the matchup. Sounds like a coach been talking in your ear. Yeah, exactly. I'm going with the Patriots to get the dub and prove to Joe they are not fraud. They are legit and also probably going to be playing against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. All right, well, that does it for this episode of the Tom and Hawk Football Show. We appreciate you guys 
And don't forget to add the Tom and Hawk Football Show flash briefing and tell Alexa, play the Tom and Hawk Football Show to listen directly through your Echo device. All right, Joe, we'll expect a Slack message from me with my resignation from this show. Uh, but do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm hoping that my arm injury from the turkey cooking last weekend heals up by next week, or <laughs> they're going to put me on that fraud or not list with all those fraudulent high-paid running backs as uh, I am one of the highest-paid podcasters in recorded history. That is a fact. Take us out. Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>